Welcome to more than a few words of marketing conversation for small business owners. MTFW is a production of Roundtable where we help small businesses become big businesses. My name is Lorraine Ball and today along with Allison Carter. Good morning, Allison. Good morning, everyone. We're going to be talking about things nobody wants to talk about. We're going to be talking about marketing services no one wants to buy. And if you would like to join the conversation, ask a question, share an opinion, you can do so on Twitter. Just use the hashtag pound MTFW and Peter, good morning Peter, will be there ready to respond. You can also call in and join the conversation at 805-285-9865. Okay, let's get started and let's lay a little bit of groundwork. There are things people love to buy. Food, mm-hmm. um, movies, entertainment, clothes, consumer items, clothes. cars, cars, houses, houses. These are things people get excited about. And then there are things people don't want to buy but need to. Legal services, personal injury, insurance, legal services, um, Coffins, funerals, coffins. These are things that people do not wake up in the morning and go, God, I'm really excited about buying. And not only are they not excited about buying, they don't really wake up in the morning and go, gosh, you know, I don't have any uh, funeral homes that I'm friends with on Facebook. But these are still products and services that need marketing. So we thought it would be fun to talk about some of these services because over the years, we've actually had a number of clients and had some some fun helping them create relationships with customers and become a more appealing brand. You know, it's interesting being in the marketing uh, industry and you know a lot of the agencies, both here in town and across the country, and many of them carve out niches for themselves. And it's always funny to see which ones people gravitate towards. For instance, if you want to do social media for a restaurant in this city, I wish you lots of luck. That is a competitive industry. Everybody wants to do it because what's more fun than food and going out with your friends, right? And the the cool part of it is you can see real time people being excited and interested, and you enjoy sampling the product. So it's easy to market those kinds of companies, not to mention fun, but there's this whole other world of unsexy businesses, as we call them, who need just as much and probably more attention and more um, more work in order to build a great social media and indeed a great marketing presence. And bottom line is, it really doesn't matter what you are selling. It doesn't matter if you're selling coffins, if you're selling insurance, if you're selling legal services, all of those products and the marketing for all those products starts at exactly the same place. It starts with the customer. It starts with who's going to buy this service, when are they going to buy it, why are they going to buy it, and what are going to, what are their decision criteria going to be. I think that some of a lot of the industries that we've mentioned, uh, insurance, uh, personal injury attorneys, uh, funeral um, and end-of-life planning industry, I think that one thing that all of those have in common are they're things that people don't like to think about. We, no one likes to think about the fact that one day they or their parent or their grandparent or whoever they're planning for is going to die. 
but people need those services. We had, when I was at Conseco, we had a, um, a brochure that we had designed, and on the cover we used the metaphor of broccoli. Um, nobody really likes the taste, but it's good for you. And that, I think, really has influenced a lot of my activities in these categories that consumers are resistant to that what made that brochure effective, what made that conversation effective was its educational and informative nature and not necessarily the hard push on selling. It was the idea that we were using our marketing materials at the time to disseminate information to help people get more comfortable and be more informed as they go into the buying process. I think that's a really great point. I think that the more information that you can give, the more it takes the sting out of, you know, that mortality realization, one day we're going to die. I think that helping people understand how pre-planning, how having life insurance, how having these kinds of services can really actually improve their quality of life, and more than that, be a service to the people who are left behind. You know, people are ultimately in many cases more concerned with the people they love than with themselves. And they might say, you know, I know that when I go it's going to be hard enough, so I need to do everything I can to ease that process with my family. And so, you know, I think we're in a just this wonderful time where there are opportunities for these kinds of businesses to tell their story, to get their messages out in a way that they couldn't do 10 years ago. Now, you know, when we were at Conseco, we were doing some what I would consider pretty edgy communication for life insurance. Um, we had an ad that was shot in a graveyard, and the headstone said, your ad here, and the tagline was, how are you going to take care of your family's you know, financial well-being when you're gone? That is bold. It, it, the Conceco advertising was very, very bold. It was very edgy. It was targeted at this really interesting niche in, in the overall financial services industry. And, and, and um, while that was probably one of the edgier ones, all of our ads were kind of geared like that. But that was unusual in that industry. I actually got a funny story about that. Um, some of you may not know, I actually come from an insurance family as well. My mother was um, worked for many years at Indianapolis Life Insurance Company, which no longer exists, but which was a hallmark of the city for many years. And so I was always, and my dad came out of that industry too. And so I was always around people talking about life insurance. And I, as a kid, I didn't really know what it was, except it was something that old people needed because they were going to die. So one day in kindergarten, we had an exercise where we had to talk about what we would do if we had $100. And I said that I would buy my grandmother life insurance because she was old. And there was a little drawing of my grandma in a $100 bill. And they actually used that in some of their internal communications and some of their marketing efforts because it was a completely outside, you know, very innocent view of what it is. I just knew old people needed life insurance. <laughs> you know why, but you didn't need it. And, you know, and, and so, um, you know, all of this predates social, but a lot of that kind of stuff, some of the humor, some of the sweetness, um, I think today with social media, we have an opportunity to sort of leverage that. And I think you walk, um, and with all of these, these kinds of companies, as we've worked with them, there's that fine line between what's tasteful, mm -hmm. what's offensive. Um, for MetLife or New York Life to do the, the graveyard or the hospital mm -hmm. scene, um, we had uh, two patients, it was a television commercial, two patients walking down the 
hallway in their hospital gowns um, and they, they walked to the hospital kitchen and they washed dishes to pay their medical bills. Um, this was unheard of and a little in your face, but it resonated with people because that's how they felt. But MetLife takes a completely different tactic. I mean, they've got a very cute little, don't they use the Peanuts characters? Mm -hmm. Don't they use Woodstock? Yes. Yeah. And then don't they also use the whale? Don't they have like the breaching humpback? Isn't that also MetLife? Or Pacific Life? Uh, I don't know because now that I'm not in the industry and and now that we don't have an insurance client, I'm not watching it as carefully. But if you're listening and you're an insurance company and would like to we have worked we have worked with insurance companies in the past, not uh to some extent life insurance, but but other industries and we know that there are uh companies out there, including some in the city, who are doing a really good job of making these less interesting um or less desirable industries very uh, appealing. And one of them is HCCMIS, um, which uh, those of you who are regular listeners of the show, you will remember um, <coughs> Muhammad, who has been a guest multiple times, works with them. And they do a fantastic job making their travel medical insurance um, very fun. And I give some, just some quick examples of that, and then I'm going to go back and jump and talk a little bit about how you can use community marketing, but start there. Absolutely. Um, HCMIS is based here in Indianapolis, and they uh, provide travel medical insurance. They do um, a lot of content marketing. For instance, when I went on my trip to Egypt um, about a year and a half ago, Muhammad found out before I was leaving that I was going on this trip, and he said, spend the money, buy the medical insurance, write blogs for us about your experiences. I was like, okay, do you want me to include any keywords? You're a marketer. I know the game. I was like, do you want me to include any keywords? What do, you, what do you need from me from SEO perspective? Like nothing. Just write about your trip. So all, that's what I did. I wrote from a very unfiltered perspective about what it was like to travel around in Egypt with my mom. And they put those up on their website, and that's part of it. They're not talking about the product itself. They're talking about the things that the product allows you to do, which is travel without worry. They also have an interesting niche where they actually sell um, this travel insurance to missionaries mm -hmm. serving overseas you know, places where they might get malaria or some other kind of dread disease. And so they've got this whole niche built around this religious sub-community and really talking in very specific terms about them and their concerns and not always just about, you know, oh my God, you're going to get yellow fever, you're going to get dengue, you're going to get Ebola and die. It's very lighthearted, it's very focused on that community. You know, um, that is, um, I think, sort of the key for anyone who's in industry marketing a product that people are not excited about, is looking at your target customers as human beings mm -hmm. with broader interests than just your product or your service. Um, things like travel insurance. Um, we, uh, we were very involved for a while with Erie Insurance, and particularly with some things they were trying to do here where they were simply trying to become a part of the Indianapolis community. And it wasn't really a matter of people actually buying from them at any particular moment. It was just um, we had some very strong insurance brands in this community. They looked at it and said, we need to be players. And so suddenly Erie Insurance was sponsoring the community day at Connor Prairie. They were sponsoring the Halloween festival. Um, and they did have some fun things for their agents to do that got them engaged with people at these events. You know, it's interesting. A lot of times as marketers, particularly when you're working with a small business, um, 
you know, it's different when you're working with national brands. And Erie Insurance is a large regional brand. They're not quite national, but they're a very large regional brand. Um, you know, it's easy to turn up your nose at brand awareness. You know, oh, you can't measure brand awareness. You can't measure brand awareness, but it's expensive to measure brand awareness. Um, but there are times, especially when you're in a very competitive industry that does spend hundreds of billions of dollars every year on advertising. I mean, every other commercial on TV is Geico, State Farm and their Mayhem commercial, um, you know, Allstate, all of those, um, when there is that much advertising, sometimes you just got to break in. Erie actually did it in a very interesting way. They actually took on that advertising head on and said, they give you funny commercials, we give you great insurance. And they actually did, instead of trying to be all things everywhere, they picked some specific markets, and I think there's a lesson there for really any kind of business. If you are going up against big established brands, big players, what you can do as a smaller player is be nimble, mm -hmm. is pick a piece of the market where you want to dominate. Um, but that other thing that, that, that Erie did was with the community involvement is something that you can do in a range of businesses. Um, there is there is a movement in general right now among funeral homes to make their facilities more life cycle event centers. And uh, I think that you know you've got these these buildings with large rooms, and um, I think that. That is an opportunity in those industries to find, again, to find appropriate events for the building, but also it is a way to reach out into the community and it gives you something to talk about in social media besides today's obituaries. You know, I think that it's, I think it's interesting with, with funeral homes in particular, because in a way they already are such a part of the fabric of the community. People come together for weddings and funerals. You know, for I remember last person I was close to who died was my grandfather, and he, he was old. It was not an unexpected death, and this is going to sound really weird. I had a great time at the funeral. I had to see people I hadn't seen in years. It was a real coming together. So I think that funeral homes already have a strong tie to the community, and so I think that just getting over some of that taboo of oh, there are dead people here, and just just you know, hey. This is something that happens. We're here all the time. We're here when things are good and things are bad. I know in Franklin, my parents told me they went to a fall festival there and the funeral home there was passing out hot dogs. So I think there, I, I think the, the lesson for businesses that believe that they're in uh, an industry that maybe people don't want to talk about is to step back and look again. How do you get involved in the community. How do you become part of the fabric of someone's life and so that you are talking about things that are not completely out of sync with who you are. Um, another example is uh, personal injury attorneys and I think a lot of them carry around a lot of baggage. Oh. The image of the ambulance chasers and yet there are some personal injury attorneys that are very knowledgeable in niche areas that really have um, some core expertise um, that are actively engaged in brain injury associations or in legislation for safer truck driving. And I think talking about those things without the blood and guts overtone um, 
can be very valuable and informative. You know, I think that a lot of um, personal injury attorneys, and to some extent by, by, by nature of that industry, they go for the lowest common denominator. You know, they go for the guys who they get in the fender bender and, oh, three days later, ow, my neck hurts. Not necessarily valid claims, but there is a real role for personal injury attorneys. State fair stage collapse is a great example. They needed personal injury attorneys. They have valid claims, and many times people do. So you need to remember, you're not always marketing directly to the end user. By doing what you were talking about and building up expertise in a particular niche and becoming, um, you know, an expert on on spinal injury or becoming an expert on, uh, you know, truck drowsiness or whatever the issue is, you're building your name up for referrals so that when someone hears, oh, you know, Susie was hit by a driver, a truck driver who dozed off behind the wheel, you can say, you need to call, you know, do we choose and how, and you need to talk to, sorry, that, that was <laughs> I'm sorry, attorney. Um, um, but you just become the go-to person for referrals rather than necessarily being known by Joe Schmo sitting on his couch who's going to need you one day. Absolutely. And um, there is, um, it, it's a different style of, it's a different style of referral and endorsement when someone can then hear your name and someone say, oh, you know what, you need to talk to this law firm, and they go to your website and they can read some of your blog posts. They can, though Facebook is, I think, and this may be a topic for another conversation, I think Facebook is becoming more challenging in general for companies with their fan pages with some of the, the changes that they're making, but I still think having a fan page and showing that you are engaged and interested in the community. Um, I think every business has a human side. And um, regardless of who you are or what you do, um, I think you, you will benefit from showing that human side of your business. Absolutely. I think that that's something that people people forget, that we have to, that we think we have to show these impenetrable facades to the world. We can't really let anyone in. But businesses are made up of people. And ultimately, I don't know how many times you've said this on this show, probably approaching a billion, people do business with people they like, especially actually in some of these more sensitive industries. You don't want your funeral to be, a, to you know, you don't want the funeral home director to be a jerk. You don't want your life insurance agent to be someone you feel is trying to sell you something you don't need. Those industries are very highly based on trust. Absolutely. I mean, and things like, you know, an extension of, um, of the insurance, any kind of, you know, financial planning. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think marriage counselors have a similar challenge because, um, you know, divorce attorneys, marriage counselors, I think... Um, Anytime you're in a business where you have to uncover a bit of yourself mm -hmm. and, and show the more personal side of who you are, you're cautious about who you hire and who you want to share that with. I think a great example of that, she's not a marriage counselor, but she's an adoption counselor, is uh, Brooke. She's been changed on Twitter. Um, she does a great job of, you know, framing the information that she provides in a positive way. And adoption, uh, I've never gone through it, but by all accounts, it is a hard, long, physically, emotionally, financially exhausting process. So being able to not sugarcoat those difficulties, but at the same time providing 
actionable information in a positive way, I think uh, speaks a lot to what you're saying. So, you know, in, in any of these categories, um, and, and let's kind of go through some of the social channels. Everybody tells everybody they need to be on Facebook. No. In, are there businesses, and, and you, just, you just completely said no, but um, is there a way for everyone to play on Facebook? It, are there ways? Sure. Where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> is it a good idea? No. Um, Facebook is still where people go for fun. Facebook is still focused on friends and family and cute fluffy puppy dogs. With a lot of hard work and concentration, you may be able to build something, but you have to ask, is that ultimately going to be the thing that fuels your business? Mm -hmm. In many cases, for these kinds of industries, to a lesser extent insurance, but uh, I think there are ways to make that work. But let's face it, having a funeral home in your Facebook timeline can be depressing. And so um, I, 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 I have to agree with you. Um, I think that if those organizations are doing community events, um, I think there's an opportunity there. But I think it is it is appropriate to step back on any of the social media and say, do I need to be here? Well, the reason that people jump on Facebook is because it's easy. Of all the social networks, it's the easiest. It's easy to set up a page. It's easy to, you know, throw a couple updates up there. It's easy to forget about it and walk away with nothing lost. It's hard to set up a blog. You've either got to already have a web designer who can incorporate it into your site and you've got to pay somebody to do it. You've got to update that sucker on a regular basis and it takes a heck of a lot longer to update a blog than it does to update a Facebook status. And, um, you know, Twitter the same way. If you're going to see any success from that at all, you're talking about a concerted time effort. So I think that sometimes people say, oh, you've got to be on Facebook. Well, A, your first question should be why, but B, your second question should be, does this even make sense? Or am I just doing this because I'm bandwagoning and because it's easy for me? And I think that that's a trap that business owners fall into, um, and not just business owners. I, I used to teach a course in corporate, and uh, it was team building and planning and time management, but one of the key lessons from the class is that there's a difference between activity and productivity. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we're out there doing things because it makes us feel, well, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and it's good stuff, and we never step back to go, but is any of it working? Yep. And um, I think uh, social media in general can be a trap if business owners don't step back and do the planning first. Mm -hmm. Don't step back and go, okay, what do I want to accomplish? How do I use these tools to get there? And I think that um, uh, it's e like I said, it's easy to do Facebook, but like for the personal injury attorneys, the majority of their referrals were coming from other attorneys mm -hmm. where they needed to be spending their time was on their blog and on LinkedIn, but it's not as much fun. No, it's not. And it doesn't have the big, well, now it has bigger pictures. <laughs> but um, it has that weird grayed out thing, though, that I really don't like. Yeah, I feel like I've got a cataract when I'm looking at it. <laughs> oh, you mean I don't? <laughs> I can't speak to your optical issues. 
Yeah, that's cool. Um, I can make a referral to an optometrist or whatever. Uh, yeah, we'll leave that alone. Um, I, I actually think I just need to change my contacts. Um, but I, I think, in, you know, in that instance, um, we, had a, we had an interesting challenge getting the attorneys to switch and really focus their attention on LinkedIn because they wanted to be on Facebook because they their kids were telling them, this is cool, this is where you need to be. People don't take marketing advice from your kids. Let's just make this blanket statement. Please don't take marketing advice from your kids. I'm sure they're very, very smart. I'm sure that they make excellent grades. I know that they're very hip and cool. Please don't take marketing advice from your kids. Your kids are probably, unless you own some kind of kids clothing store or some after school hangout, like from Saved by the Bell, your kids are not your target customers. Don't take advice from them. Yes. yes. Absolutely, and we'll just leave it there. Um, we are almost out of time, and I want to uh, put a couple of just maybe wrap-up notes on today's conversation. Um, things to think about. If you are in an industry that people are not excited about, get over it, <laughs> accept that um, you need to be excited about it. Mm -hmm. You need to be passionate, you need to be having fun with it, um, you need to recognize that you're adding valuable service or you need to be doing something else. Um, I, I think that that kind of enthusiasm allows you to then start talking about it. And if the other thing is get the people who have already benefited from your service excited about it. You know, um, your best, your best advertising is going to be keeping the people who already like you happy. It's making it so the people who have, who have purchased from you in the past love their experience, incentivizing ways to get them to refer to you, if that makes sense in your industry, and um, just really providing a superior level of service that people can't help but talk about you. And ex excellent customer service comes in all shapes, in all sizes, in all forms, in every product category. And asking someone when they call you up and say, I just had a great experience, thank you so very much, asking them to share that on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, putting a note on your blog. People, if people like you, they like to help you. All right, so we are going to wrap up today's show. Closing thought, Allison? I think you really said it. Be passionate about what you do, and that will rub off on people no matter how unsexy your industry. Terrific. Thank you so much, Peter. Thanks for manning the Twitter stream today. No problem. Folks, we are going to be back next week because we're always back next week. We've got a great lineup of shows coming up. We're going to be talking in the next few weeks to Nikki Llewellyn about where Rainmakers is go, going, where they've been, where they're, they're going as they're celebrating their 10th anniversary. We're going to be talking to Doreen Long from Allegra Printing about sort of the role of print in a digital age. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, Shawnee from Fine Promotions about getting ready for trade shows. So we've got a wide range of topics. And also, if you've got an idea or a suggestion for something you'd love to see us talk about or a guest you'd like us to reach out to, drop us a note. You can put it up on your suggestions up on Twitter at MTSW or send me an email at Lorraine at roundpeg.biz. 
And if you've enjoyed today's conversation, if you want to learn more about what we do, about marketing, networking, and social media, be sure to check out our blog at roundpeg.biz. This has been another episode of More Than a Few Words. Thanks for listening.